If you're lacking peace, Pastor Dave Rolf says a good dose of grace is just what you need. Of course, when you understand grace, it'll put you at peace. If you don't understand grace, you will never know peace. Because the opposite of grace is flesh and law. It's trying to be good enough on your own. And the harder you try to be good, the less peace you will have. And when you see someone who is not at peace, when you see someone who is, is striving, struggling, and not fitting in, you can just make a mental note of it. There's someone who I need to pray that they understand God's grace. Because God's grace changes us and it sets us free. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say. You are worshipped and it's all to hear today. Well, maybe like many Americans, this is a very difficult time for you. When life hurts and we're lacking peace, where do we turn? Today on The Balanced Word, find comfort and peace as we open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Pastor Dave Rolf will be kicking off his study of 2 Corinthians today, so you've picked a good day to join us. Here he is now to introduce the series for us. Um, I'll refresh your memory. The city of Corinth was a, was a rough place. It was there on the, it was near Athens, there in the southern part of Greece. Um, in an area that was really corrupt and, and just all sorts of idolatry and weirdness there, Corinth was sort of, a, sort of an ancient version of a Las Vegas or something. Just had that, that connotation of being a creepy place where, where creepy people lived. And, and it was a tough place to be a Christian for sure. And Paul had started the church there in Corinth on his first missionary journey. And, and he had found out that there was all kinds of bad things happening in the church. Part of it was because some people from one of the house churches there in Corinth had contacted him and let him know of some of the things that were going on. A part of it also was just that they had asked him questions about certain things, and they were obviously confused and messed up about a lot of things. And so he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to straighten out a lot of the serious errors that were there in the church in, in Corinth. Um, and, I mean, some of it was bad stuff. They, for instance, they were having communion service, and, and they had a thing called the Nagape feast where they would have the whole potluck, and then they would have communion as kind of the culmination of that. Well, people were bringing their own food so that, you know, them and their friends could have great food, but if somebody was new or poor or something like that, they would go without, and they'd be just sitting there at the love feast like, hmm, you know, nothing to eat. And not only that, the people who had the food later started partying at communion, and by the time communion came around, they were pretty drunk. And so Paul had to actually tell them, no, don't get drunk at communion. <laughs> they had other problems. They, there was, there was a, a guy who was having an affair with his stepmother. And the church was thinking, oh, it's pretty cool that we accept somebody like this. And Paul's like, no, that's, that's, that's way over the line of what I'm talking about, grace. This, you know, kick that kid out of the church until he figures out this isn't acceptable. And so, 
you know, there were all kinds of issues like that. There were people who were denying the resurrection of Christ. And so we have one of the greatest sections in the Bible on the resurrection, a defense of the resurrection there in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, so Paul had sent them this letter, and a whole lot of the letter was corrective in nature. Now, he later sent Timothy to hang out there in Corinth to report back to him kind of how things were going there. And Silas also went there. Titus, he also sent there on a couple of occasions to report back to him how things were going there in Corinth. Now, the book, he had some of that information, and there was a lot of good news. A lot of the things that were messed up in Corinth had been straightened out. And so, he was happy about that. But there were some other issues that were still going on there, and a lot of it was that there were people who were coming into positions of importance there in Corinth who were um, really saying bad things about Paul, bad-mouthing Paul, questioning whether he was really an apostle, telling the people, oh, Paul doesn't love you. Paul said he was coming back, and he hasn't come back yet, and he's afraid. And they even criticized him because he was short and ugly. And I mean, you name it, they were attacking him. And so a part of 2 Corinthians is to tell them, hey, you're doing good. Some of it was, part of it we'll see um, probably next week is to tell them that, hey, the kid that you kicked out of church, enough is enough, man. Let the kid back in. He's, he's learned his lesson. Restore him to fellowship. And so a lot of this was there, but also a lot of it is Paul defending his own um, integrity and his own apostleship specifically. And this isn't something that Paul wanted to do, but boy, it, in the process of him doing it, we learn an awful lot about Paul, which is really cool. And we also see, learn a whole lot of great principles for us to understand as a church in the process of Paul addressing some of these sorts of issues. And so it's a, it's a fantastic book, and, and I'm certain that you'll enjoy um, going through it as I will. And let's just jump right into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he starts out with a very typical greeting for Paul, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul was sent as a missionary, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he knew who he was, and he knew that he was who he was by the will of God. He did what he did, not uh, because he chose himself, not because he had been elected, not because a lot of his friends think he'd be a good apostle. It was by God's will. God was the one who had placed him in that position. And so right off the bat, he's letting them know, I know who I am and I know who put me where I am as an apostle. It's God's will. And then he also, Timothy was with him. Titus was also with him. And we'll find out later. And actually, Titus was the one who had delivered the book of 1 Corinthians to Corinth, he will also be delivering the book of 2 Corinthians to Corinth. And in between those times, he went there at least one other time as well. So Titus had a close relationship with um, Corinth, as did Timothy, as did Paul, as did other people. Apollos was there, um, Priscilla and Aquila were there. A lot, of, a lot of people hovered around there. It was kind of the center of their world as they knew it, because if you went west, there was Rome and everything that was off there. 
as you were there in, in Corinth, you were in the middle of, of Greece, and as you headed off to the east, there was Asia Minor and all the churches there, and of course, um, Israel and Jerusalem. And so a lot of people knew a lot of people. Um, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Achaia was the province of Greece where Corinth was. Athens was also in Achaia. It's in the southern part of the boot of Greece. If you go north, uh, Macedonia is the, when he sometimes refers to Macedonia, and that's the, more the northern part of Greece. So he's saying, you're the church of God, reminding them of who they were and who owned them, and he does that often in the book. Um, but also letting them know that this is a book that's not just, don't take it personal. This is something that I hope all the churches in your area have a chance to, to read and to benefit from it as well. Grace to you. Boy, we could talk about grace all day long, but that's, he's always coming from grace. Even when he is addressing problems, even when he's a bit upset, He's always letting people know, look, grace, it's about grace, and I want you to understand God's grace, to receive his grace and to pass his grace on to others as well. Grace to you and peace. Of course, when you understand grace, it'll put you at peace. If you don't understand grace, you will never know peace, because the opposite of grace is flesh and law. It's trying to be good enough on your own, and the harder you try to be good, the less peace you will have. And when you see someone who is not at peace, when you see someone who is, is striving, struggling, and not fitting in, um, you can just make a mental note of it. There's someone who I need to pray that they understand God's grace. Because God's grace changes us and it sets us free. It unbinds us. It turns us loose. It draws us close. It allows us to be able to ultimately be gracious to others. And again, you'll never know peace until you learn to be gracious, but you'll never learn to be gracious until you understand how gracious God has been to you. Grace breaks the log jam and frees us up for peace. If you're struggling with peace, take another look at grace. That's probably what's missing. Either you are somehow... In your own pride, you're believing that you can be good on your own, or you've been so defeated and so beat up that you've given up and you've opted for condemnation and you're feeling useless and worthless and therefore no peace. Grace lets you know it's okay. You've been taken care of. You've been set free. Now rest in his grace and you'll be at peace no matter what's going on around you. And it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son. He's going to talk about the Spirit in a bit as well. It may not seem like a big deal to you, um, because, but there are people who, you know, who act like, who believe that Jesus isn't really God, that somehow he's less than God in some way. Even people who would say that Jesus is God sometimes have the idea that somehow He's God, but he's a littler God. The Father is the real one, and Jesus is the one that's kind of subservient to him. But just a, a small note here. Imagine 
He's saying, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3. Notice how in both cases he's saying the Father and the Son, but he doesn't just say the Father and the Son. He's saying the Father and the Lord. Lord is a, is a, is a title that would say there isn't anyone beneath you. If you're the Lord, even if you're the Lord out of the presence of God, to put the two of them together and say, the Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ. The name for God, the name Lord in, the New, in Greek is kurios, but the name in the Old Testament, there were a couple of different words for God, and the most personal name for God, which we usually refer to it as Yahweh, it's Y-H-W-H, um, with no vowel marking, so we, it was unpronounceable. No one really knows how it should have been pronounced. They wouldn't even pronounce it as they were reading it, but our Bibles in the Old Testament, when they, when they translate God's personal name of Yahweh, they refer to Lord in all caps. And then there's the Hebrew name Adonai, which is Lord, and that's usually rendered capital L with the small O-R-D. But at any rate, the overwhelming title that's chosen for God his Lord, and yet here and in so many places, making a specific point to put Jesus next to the Father and calling Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't let anyone tell you that Jesus is in any way inferior to the Father, not, not at all. So he says, blessed be God our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessing God, just as we were tonight during worship. Just, just saying, he is blessed. He is revered. He is to be praised. He is to be appreciated. I give him credit. I, I bless him. And, and look, though, what it calls him. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's also the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now he's going to expand that as we continue, but the father of mercy. <laughs> He's the one who wants to show you mercy. He's the one who wants to say, you don't have to keep destroying yourself. You don't have to pay for your own sin. That's what grace is about. And that's why grace and mercy are so often used together. The truth of grace opens the door to mercy. Mercy means you don't have to pay for your sin. Mercy means yeah, you deserve judgment, but you don't have to take it. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to pay that price. And he is seen as the father of mercies. He is behind mercy all the way. And he's also the God of all comfort. Boy, do we need comfort in this world. You know, the thing that drives most people nuts is that life is so uncomfortable. It's painful. It hurts. We discover very early, as soon as you're even aware of your own existence, and even before you're totally aware of your own existence, one of the first things that babies notice when they're born is, this is uncomfortable. And if they're hungry, they're uncomfortable. 
And if the light's too bright, they're uncomfortable. If the noise is too loud, they're uncomfortable. If somebody is holding them and it's not their parents, they are sometimes uncomfortable. They're wet or whatever. There's this constant awareness of discomfort. And there isn't much that better describes life in this world than uncomfortable. But Paul knows uncomfortable. He knows what it is to suffer. And now he tries to give that a context, and he he first talks about that God is the God of all comfort. He wants to meet us when we're uncomfortable, and he wants to provide comfort to us. He wants us to, to learn to rely on him, to relate to him, to depend on him as being the one who comforts us. And of course, the Holy Spirit, and that's why it's interesting in the context because it's, he's already talked about the Father and the Son, but often the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. The Holy Spirit's role is to be with us, to comfort us, to meet us where we are. But also, as we're going to see here, God provides that comfort often through other people. And really, a lot of times when comfort works the best is when people do their jobs as people and are there to comfort each other, to learn to, to help to relieve the pain of others, to, to be able to be a blessing to them, to be um, a physical manifestation of that which God always wants to do, meet us in our uncomfortableness and help us to find that comfort. But he's the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts, comforts us in all our tribulation, whatever hurts, whatever is difficult, he comforts us in all of them. Now, you might go, I've had tribulations and God just didn't comfort me. Well, somehow you missed what he wanted to do to comfort you. It was his intention to be there. Now, maybe some person didn't do what they're supposed to do, but even then, God is there and available and willing and able to provide comfort to us. That's the norm. When life hurts, when life is uncomfortable to a baby, they look for mom to provide that comfort. For us in our lives, when things are uncomfortable, we need to look for God. And when we do, we'll find him and we'll recognize that he is going to always provide comfort. He will not leave you comfortless. He actually allows the Holy Spirit to live inside you so that he's ready and available all the time. But notice Paul's perspective. He says, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That is what the church is about. That is what we are to be for each other. And that's the perspective that we need to have. When I am going through a difficulty, God is wanting to comfort me, and he's wanting to comfort me and then make me more equipped and more capable and more willing and able to then provide comfort to others. See, it isn't just, oh, I'll just let God comfort me. No, 
God wants to comfort us generally through each other. Now, if each other fails, God will find a way to come and to help us through and to help us make it through. But often, even when we say, yeah, nobody was really there, but God just got me through. If we would open our eyes, we would realize there were probably all kinds of people who were involved in that comfort. Comfort doesn't come just independently from God. Now you go, no, I was going through a tough time and nobody cared, nobody listened, I didn't tell anybody, nobody knew, and somehow the Holy Spirit just came and comforted me and helped me through it without any help from any people, so I don't need people, I am a rock, I am an island. Um, How do you know somebody wasn't praying for you? Can you honestly say that God hadn't laid it on someone's heart to pray at a time when you were going through something that was difficult? This is what God wants to do. Now, don't oversimplify this. And sometimes people will take this passage of Scripture and go, the reason why God makes you uncomfortable is so that he can comfort you so that then you can comfort others. The reason they're uncomfortable is so that you can comfort them, so that God can comfort them through you. And God creates all this discomfort so that we can learn to comfort each other. I don't know about you, but if that's all it is, I'm not thinking that's the greatest idea. You know, is, is that really God? He deliberately hurts us so that he can make us feel better? Is, is God the type who will come and beat you over the head so that then, oh, he can stroke you and make you feel better? That when he gets through pounding on you, it'll just feel so good when he stops that you go, wow, God, you're so good. No, no, you're not good. You're not, oh, oh, thanks. Yeah, you're, you are good right now. But oh, oh, no, you're, no, it, it's not that. We know from scriptures and we know from experience, this world is uncomfortable because something's desperately wrong with it. And it happened in Genesis chapter 3. The, the fall of man and the existence of sin has severely damaged everything in this planet, everything in this universe, and as a result, we're all hurting. And sin is what's causing this, and, and God doesn't want it to be this way. God's not, you know, the type of God who, who goes, I'm glad you hurt, because then you'll really appreciate me when I, when I make you feel better. No. We did this to ourselves. You're listening to Pastor Dave Roth on The Balanced Word and the first of many studies in 2 Corinthians. You'll be right back with more. Hear this study from 2 Corinthians again at thebalancedword.com or give us a call and request a CD at 949-362-7475. That's 949-362-7475. Pastor Dave has taught through the entire Bible. And we put the entire series on a USB for you. It's our featured resource right now, available for a donation of $30 or more. You can request this special offer at thebalancedword.com or call 949-362-7475. Here at The Balanced Word, everything revolves around the simple teaching of the Bible. Our mission is discovering balanced living through the Word of God. We're convinced that the Bible is God's Word to us, and living by the Word will give us the best life possible as we grow more healthy mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. Your donations help to make this possible, so thank you. You can make a contribution to the ministry at thebalancedword.com. 
And as you do, don't forget to ask for Dave's Through the Bible Study. Whether you live in the area or will be visiting soon, please know that you're always welcome to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Sunday morning services begin at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. You can also live stream those services at ccpacifichills.org. We want to pray for you, so please send in those prayer requests right there at our website at thebalancedword.com. Or again, call 949-362-7475. Pastor Dave shares encouraging one-minute messages on Facebook and Instagram. It's a great way to start the day. Check it out at CC Pacific Hills. Or just log on to thebalancedword.com. As we return to Pastor Dave, he points out what God can accomplish through the pain and suffering we encounter. God has a divine purpose in everything that happens in the world. Uh, to the extent, I think of Joseph in, in Genesis when after his brothers had sold him into slavery and everything, and then God used that to put Joseph in charge of Egypt to save the children of Israel from the famine. And, you know, all, all that happened because they did it. And when his brothers were kind of concerned when they figured out who Joseph was, Joseph said, don't worry. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God has intentions behind everything that happens. But don't then jump to a logical, theological conclusion that God wants it to be this way. That, to me, would be a theological error. Well, we're just getting started in 2 Corinthians, and the journey through the epistle continues tomorrow on The Balanced Word with Dave Roth. A daily presentation of Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel in Aliso Viejo and online at thebalancedword.com. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hands. And